All right, so I, I, uh, I'm going to share uh, not too long today, um, and I'm, I'm continuing in my, my um, series, I guess, in the book of Psalms, and I've basically been sharing Psalms that have been meaningful to me through the years. A lot of these Psalms I've realized, you know, these are like verses I memorized years ago as a young Christian, and I'm just finding myself going back to them and just feeding on them. In this, uh, in this season. So I'm going to share today out of Psalm 1. Very familiar psalm to many. Uh, my Bible says, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so uh, let's just read it together and then we'll jump in. <clears throat> psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its, its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So here in this psalm, only six verses, really a a beautiful psalm, very popular psalm. He's basically just comparing the, the godly and the ungodly. The righteous and the unrighteous. The holy and the unholy. The saint and the sinner, and he's just laying them side by side and just comparing and contrasting their two lives. And so the first three verses talk about the the way of the man that is blessed. In a sense, the, the man that is that is right with God. And in our context, we understand that right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. They've opened their heart to him and yielded to him and called on his name. And so here we see Um, the first verse talks about what the righteous man does not do, and then the second verse talks about what he does do, and then the the third verse talks about basically the benefits or the fruit uh, or the outcome of his way of life. So, first one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So, this verse is basically talking about the, the righteous do not associate themselves with the way of the wicked. Um, now, in this verse, you can see there's like this a progression aspect to it. You see the word walk, then the, 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 he doesn't walk with the, uh, in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand, and then he doesn't sit. So you see this idea of a progressive, in a sense, you could see in this verse the whole progression of sin and a whole progression of a downward cycle. And uh, first you walk, then you stand, and then you sit. You know, and, and that's exactly the way it is with a life of sin. At first, you might just kind of walk alongside uh, 
sinful, and, and we'll talk about what this represents. It's not just an individual person. It's more of a broad brushstroke um, as far as the, the counsel of the wicked. It's more like a worldview. It's more like the value system of the wicked. It's not just talking about hanging out with an individual. Okay? But the point is, you first walk, then you stand, then you sit. There's a progression here. And um, it's kind of like you've probably heard about the frog in the kettle analogy, right? If you put a frog in a little bit of boiling water and you put that frog in there, immediately it would jump out because the water's hot and it'll jump out. But if you put that same frog in uh, lukewarm or air, you know, water that's of air temperature, room temperature, and then you turn up the heat slowly, very, very slowly the temperature of that water rises and the frog doesn't even recognize it. And before long, the water's boiling, the frog dies. He could have jumped out very easily, but because of the incremental change in the temperature of the water, he didn't recognize it and he eventually perished. Truth be told, that's kind of the way sin works, okay? You don't recognize the, the temperature of the water going up in your surroundings until it kills you. The righteous man, the man or woman of God, recognizes they don't associate themselves with the way of the wicked. There's a progression there. Notice it says it's the counsel of the wicked. So this is talking about like the values and the worldview of the wicked. So first way towards sin is we start thinking in a worldly way. And we start, th- we start embracing the values of the world. Because how many of you know the, the values, uh, God's values are very different than the values of the world. Jesus said that God basically values stuff that the world finds of no value at all. And vice versa. That's just the way it is in the kingdom of God. And so um, walk, stand, sit. We don't embrace, first we walk alongside the counsel, the ideas and values of the, of the worldly. Then you stand in the way of sinner. There's this growing comfortability. And then last but not least, you sit among the scoffer. Uh, this is the downward progression of sin. The man or woman of God realizes this slippery slope and they avoid it. Bottom line is they don't go down there. The blessed man does not go down this path. Now, but someone might say, well, but wait, wait, Mike, isn't Jesus like a friend of sinners? Didn't he hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes? Yes, he absolutely did. But we, what you have to understand is this isn't talking about like us not associating with people in the world or, or not, not hanging out or not having relationships with unbelievers. It's talking about like who are your people? As a Christian, God's people ought to be your people, okay? And you are, you're not embracing the, the value system, the worldview of the wicked. It's just, it's basically, it's that simple. Jesus, when he hung out with the people of his day, he was referred to himself as the doctor, and he's there caring for people that were sick. 
Okay? When you go to the emergency room, the doctor doesn't have this kind of you know, two-way, give-and-take, rapport relationship with someone in the emergency room. It's all give. The doctor's there to save this guy's life. The patient is there to receive help. It's not this two-way give-and-take. And so, yes, Jesus did hang out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, and the Pharisees were quite upset with that, but that, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, in Psalm 1, the way of the righteous is that he doesn't embrace the value system of the world, okay? Um, and this is something that every parent should talk about with their children. Early in life, as a parent, you basically decide who your kid's friends are going to be. But at some point along the way, they're going to start making their own friends. And so talking about this idea is really important. Because, you know, I've, I've often told my sons, you are becoming who your friends are. We are impacted by our close associations. So the, way, the, the righteous man understands that and he, is, he doesn't embrace the value system of this world. Okay, the blessed man is not associated with the ideas and the worldview of the wicked. Instead, verse 2, um, oh, well, let me say one other thing about verse 1, and that is this. Um, prohibition, meaning there are things that God said in his word, thou shalt not, and they're, they're actually for our good when God says not to do something. You know, prohibitions is, are not punishments. The Bible does have some thou shalt nots, you know. Thou shalt not let the sun go down on your wrath, meaning don't hold a grudge. Uh, don't be drunk with wine, you know, in which is dissipation. So just like a good parent tells their child, hey, I don't want you to touch the wood stove, little guy. It's hot. You're going to burn your hand. That's not because mom and dad are trying to like, trying to control the child, uh, you know, against their will to try to hurt them. Just the opposite. The, the parent has the child's best interest at, at, in mind. And so for me, I always thought before I was a believer, when I was in my teens, until I was 20 years old, I thought God was a giant killjoy. Like he didn't want me to have any fun. My understanding of Christianity was, that's all it was, was a bunch of thou shalt nots. That is not Christianity, by the way. <laughs> um, this is way, way more significant than that. But my point is, is like somewhere along the way I realized, oh, when God tells me not to do something, it actually is for my, my own good, my, my, my best interest. He actually is a lot smarter than I am. He actually made me as a human being, and he knows what's best for my happiness, my blessing, my, my flourishing, so to speak. And so when God tells us not to do something, it's so important that we realize it's for our own good. He's not a killjoy. He's trying to protect us from that which will harm us. Bottom line, prohibitions from Scripture are not punishments. They're actually a way that God is helping us, protecting us, and wanting us to flourish. 
Very important. Notice what the, 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 the righteous man does. He doesn't do these things in verse 1, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scorners, uh, scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So instead of the counsel of the wicked and the company of evil worldly uh, people and ideas, the man or woman of God is enamored with God's word. Just that simple. I've been a Christian 30 plus years, uh, 35, 36 years. I still really enjoy reading the Bible. I really enjoy uh, hearing scripture. I really enjoy listening to sermons. I really enjoy studying the Bible. And it's not because I'm a preacher. It's just because as a Christian, the word of God is so critically important. And uh, so certainly there should be an admonition here in this psalm that you and I ought to be people of the book. But reality is if I, you really need to, someone needs to really take a pulse of their spiritual life. If they don't enjoy engaging with the Bible, I would say that's like a real, real huge problem. This guy, the, the, the blessed man, the righteous man, delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This verse 2 reminds me of Joshua 1.8. That's another verse I, mem- I memorized uh, early on in my Christian life. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Okay? For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Jesus said, my words are spirit, and they are life. God's word is so significantly important for, for, for you and me. Really, really important. May we be people that delight in it and meditate in it day and night. What does it mean to meditate? You know, the Eastern view of meditation is you try to just empty your mind. Um, the biblical understanding of meditation is just the opposite, actually. You're filling your mind and you're filling your heart with God thoughts. You're filling your mind and your heart with Scripture. And when you meditate, it's basically you're murmuring to yourself. We do this all the time, by the way. Every single human being constantly is thinking. They're constantly talking to themselves. Sometimes you actually might mutter you know, words that are audible under your breath. If you've ever complained about something, if you've ever, you know, rehearsed like having some difficult conversation, if you've ever just muttered to yourself, that's, that's basically meditation. Okay, we do it all the time. And so what's critical though is we need to let God's word be the content of our murmuring. <laughs> let God's word be the content of our, of our meditation. And that is absolutely critical. I don't know of any other practice in the Christian life as significant as meditating in Scripture. I can't highly enough recommend it to you. It's a really important part of walking with the Lord. The third verse here says this. This guy who delights in the law of the Lord... On his law, he meditates day and night. He is like, listen to the promise now. Listen to the fruit that this bears in this guy's life. He is like a tree 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So here you have this picture, this metaphor of this giant tree. This is what the Christian life, this is what God wants to happen in your life and my life. Us to be like this big, immovable, healthy tree. And that tree is not just a little reed blown in the wind. It's not a little, little flag. It's not like grass. It's a giant tree. Why is it a giant, strong, healthy tree? It's because it has roots that go deep into the ground. And this tree is planted near a stream of water. I love this, this picture, this, this, this metaphor of this giant tree that re- represents the godly life. And so this tree is not subject to um, you know, the environment, so to speak. Why? Because it's planted near a stream. So whether it's hot and arid and dry and it's like a little bit of a, of a drought, or whether it's winter, t- whatever the season doesn't matter, whatever the weather it doesn't matter, because it has roots that go way down into the ground and it's planted near this stream. That's what God wants your life and my life to look like. That we would just be immovable, steady, consistent. Now listen, I'm not there all the time. I'm up and down on a roller coaster a little more than I would like, and probably you are too, but I'm just saying this is, this is, this is where we need to be like pushing toward. This is where we want to grow toward in being this, like this stream. And this, this godly man or woman is bearing, I love this part of it, it says bearing fruit yields fruit in its season. So every season of life, every challenge in life, there should be, by the grace of God and by the work of the Spirit, a corresponding fruit that our life is yielding. Like, for example, uh, in times of affliction, uh, COVID-19 affliction, the whole worldwide pandemic and social distancing and not being able to get together, what do we need in this time? We need patience. We need to just endure This is hard, but we need endurance. We need patience. How about when things are going great and the sun is shining and you're feeling really blessed and prosperous? Well, that's the appropriate fruit then would be gratitude. We need to remember all of the good things we have in our life are from the hand of God. How about when there's an opportunity? How about when there's a door that opens up? It's time to run through it. We need zeal. We need energy. You know, so whatever the season of life, we need to have appropriate fruit. How about, how about this one? We don't normally think of this as a fruit of the Spirit, and that is this. How about when someone who is weak or vulnerable is being oppressed or mistreated by others? You know what's an appropriate response then? You know what's an appropriate fruit then? Is actually anger. Anger can be a really good and a godly thing. And I just was thinking about this in my preparation. And, uh, you know, there's a story in, in um, the Gospel of Mark, and it's always stuck with me. Normally, when we think of anger, we think sin. And truth be told, probably many of the times that I get angry, I'm not, I'm pretty, I'm either close to sinning 
or I might actually be sinning. But you know, Scripture says Jesus himself got angry. Let me just share these few verses with you. Verse uh, 1, chapter 3 in Mark's Gospel, he says, Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. He said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But all the religious leaders were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. This is talking about Jesus. Looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So here's Jesus says he got angry. Now we know Jesus never sinned, but he was angry. You know what? As I was thinking about this story, I'm like, Lord, help me to get angry about stuff that gets you angry. And I don't want to sin in my anger, because it's easy to do that. But anger itself is not sinful. Anger actually can be a way that we're like, if, if something upsets us, if there's someone who's being mistreated by others and we have the opportunity to stand up and help them, well, let anger then you know, kind of run its course. Anger can be a really good thing. Jesus was, I think when he made a, a, a whip and a cord and he drove the money changers out of the temple, I don't think he did it with a big smiley face on. You know, I think the Jesus picture we have of you know, the gentle um, Savior, you know, with the lamb around his, his neck and uh, playing with little children. Certainly that's a great picture of Jesus, and I'm not saying that's not portrayed in Scripture, but there's also this Jesus that at times gets angry. He looked around at the hardness of heart because they were more interested in their Sabbath day keeping than actually helping a man that had a withered hand. Here's this guy, partially paralyzed, and they're more concerned about their religious, you know, their rituals and not, not defiling the Sabbath day. And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you guys? And he heals the man. He's, and he says he's angry at them. Anger can be an appropriate fruit. Again, back to Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Michael, do you believe like in prosperity? Well, I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I think the Bible talks about prospering. God's people basically being successful in the endeavors that God has called them to, to you know, have their hand to. Prospering is a good thing. Prospering is part of our testimony to the world around us. People ought to look at our lives again. We're not like perfect. We haven't arrived. We, st- you know, this, the sun rises on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. We're not completely immune to some life's problems and struggles. Don't get me wrong. But that said, as believers, may we be like this tree that's bearing fruit in its season. May our life reflect God's goodness, God's grace, God's favor on our lives. May the fact that we've embraced him and yielded to him and tried to walk in his ways, may that 
may the world see that and see something very different in your life, in my life. Peace, joy, love, all of the fruit of the Spirit as they look at our lives. So last thought on this, this uh, Psalm 1, great Psalm. And it says this, it says, The wicked are not so, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So in essence, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time speaking about the wicked. I'm just going to say it this way. That the wicked, uh, again, uh, Jesus can put in simply two categories of human beings I can't do that, okay? I have lots of categories and lots of areas of gray. Yeah, I have the, the holy, you know, and I have the really, really retrobate wicked. Um, but then I have all kinds of gray areas in between, okay? Uh, God alone literally can put human beings in simply two categories, the righteous and the unrighteous. And there is a day, this is a sobering, somber reality. There is a day that every human being is going to give an account to God and stand before him on judgment day. And so my, the idea that uh, the wicked are going to be repaid, that should really inspire us. There's no glee, there's no joy in that. God does not delight uh, he has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, okay? But that should inspire us to be like, we need to get the message out. God, yes, God loves you. That's the, all of us, apart from the grace of God, in a sense, are the wicked. And so, uh, but for the Christians, now that we've embraced his grace and his favor and put our faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we need to be inspired to tell other people because there is a coming judgment day. Every human being will stand before God and give an account for his life. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So let me just end by saying this. So, if you're a believer today, I do want you to be inspired to be a man or woman of the book, okay? May we never outgrow uh, feeding on Scripture, reading Scripture, meditating on Scripture, studying Scripture. May we never, we, we, we need God's Word. Jesus said, I said it earlier, His words are spirit and they are life. Um, so, may we not like reject the, the counsel of the ungodly. May we instead be those that meditate on God's word. May the result be in our lives that we are steady, we're immovable, we're bearing fruit in each and every season of life and for each and every challenge of life. Now here's the thing, you might, if we're not careful, come to a wrong conclusion on this message. You might say, oh, okay, so Mike, what you're saying is if you read and study the Bible, you're going to go to heaven. And if you don't read and study the Bible, you're going to go to hell. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, that would miss something very important in what I am sharing. 
Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 5. He said this. He said, And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you've never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So he's basically rebuking and and kind of challenging these people. Um, He says, you haven't heard his voice. His form you have not seen. You don't have his word abiding in you. And then he says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So, the context here. Jesus is rebuking mainly the Jewish leaders of his day because they thought studying the Bible was going to win them favor with God. Their confidence was the fact that they knew so much of the Bible that that's how they were right with God because of all of their good works. Jesus said, no, you don't. Uh, just because you, you search the Scriptures, you think that you have eternal life because of your searching of the Scriptures, you're missing something very important. Those Scriptures point to me. The, so Bible study, Bible reading, Bible meditation is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end, and that end is God Himself. So, it would be an oversimplification to say, okay, read the Bible, study the Bible, you go to heaven. You don't read the Bible, you don't study the Bible, you go to hell. No, the whole point is is that Christ, the message of the Bible points us to a person and his name is Jesus Christ. And so studying scripture is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. That's how we know about God. It says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The way we have faith in God is through hearing scripture, understanding scripture, letting it change our heart, letting it change us from the inside out. So yes, I want you to read scripture. I want you to study scripture. But at the end of the day, I don't want you in your mind thinking I'm right with God because I've memorized all these Bible verses. I'm right with God because, oh, I can, I can quote all 66 verses, you know, chapters in a, uh, books of the Bible in a row. No, none of those things make us right with the Lord. Only what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, once we've responded to who Jesus is, uh, then this book is full of lots of instruction of how we are to live how we are to please him. Things we're not supposed to do, things we are supposed to do. You know, our walk, so to speak. But don't misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? Um, We're right with God, not because we studied the Bible. We're right with God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And then we study the Bible because we want to get to know him better. Amen? Amen. So Father, I just thank you for your word and uh, thank you for this simple psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord 
And in his law does he meditate day and night. Lord, he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Lord, let us be, uh, let us be Psalm, Psalm 1 people. Uh, again, not just studying the Bible for the Bible's sake, but Lord, studying it so we get to know you better. Because Scripture testifies of you and what you've done on our behalf. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.